Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Lois, and I'm part of the leadership team here, and I also want to say a huge welcome to any newcomers, uh, any freshers, undergraduate freshers, postgraduate freshers, uh, study abroad people who I've met this morning. Um, I came here as a postgraduate fresher, and I just want to say well done for finding us, because I remember walking past the fish market and being like, where on earth am I? And I wondered whether I'd stumbled out of Oxford into some sort of weird industrial apocalypse. <laughs> um, so hopefully your dedication was rewarded by a warm welcome and a cup of tea. Uh, many of you will know that throughout September we've been focusing on what it means to be in Christ. And that's laid a really brilliant uh, foundation for what's coming up this term. And we're going to be returning to what really is our essential DNA as a church, what are our kind of foundation stones. And so I'm kicking off a short kind of mini-series entitled Called, and it's going to be four weeks with a break in the middle uh, for a celebration. And today I'm talking about Called to God. Uh, next week will be Called to People, and after that Called to Our City, and then Called to Think Beyond. Uh, before I begin, though, I want to ask you to consider the following question uh, very quickly. Where does your energy come from? What's your kind of first instinct answer to that question? Where does your energy come from? Now, some of you will think quite literally and think the sun. So well done. Uh, that's correct. Uh, food, water, sleep. Maybe you thought about time alone by yourself, uh, or time with people you really love, time with God in prayer. Or maybe you thought caffeine, or some sort of horrible sugary drink like Lucozaid or Red Bull. I can't have Red Bull, I've become a crazy person. <laughs> uh, I'm asking this because I've got a problem, and I'm going to paint a picture of that problem for you now, and the problem is called my Christian life. So here goes. First things first, I'm not doing a terribly good job of reading my Bible regularly. And when I do, I'm usually reading a small bit and getting to grips with it. But then I'm like, it's been eight months and I'm only a third of the way through Job. Is this even the most important book? I don't even remember what most of Jesus' parables are. I really hope that doesn't come up on a Christian quiz. So that'd be embarrassing. So I need to make sure I'm also reading long stretches of scripture as well. And what about the bits I don't understand? No, only theological study will really help me, but that'll take a while. So I'd better prioritize topics. I'd better start with the problem of evil and suffering. And prayer, you know, I really need to pray more. You know, I'm reasonably consistent at asking God for things I need, but I need to be careful because I'm worried that I'm just treating God like a blessing dispenser. So, you know, I really ought to be worshiping God just to kind of, you make sure he knows I love him for who he is. So, so let me get this straight. My daily devotions with God, which aren't happening very often, need to involve devotional Bible reading, breadth Bible reading, a smattering of theology, prayer for stuff, and also worship. Okay. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. I'm on top of this. But all of this is a bit me-focused, isn't it? You know, I'm part of the body of Christ. I come to church regularly. Hooray! And, you know, I don't want to be a seat warmer. You know, I've got to get involved as well. It's important that I serve 
And if I'm not on a rotor, who am I? And what about the poor and the marginalized? You know, that's who Jesus spent most time with when he was on earth. I need to remember them. I'm so privileged. I need to be practicing thankfulness while I give out of what I receive. But spiritually, I've got to serve others too. I'm supposed to have spiritual gifts that I'm regularly using. What are my spiritual gifts? I don't know. And to use them, I need to have faith. How do I do that? Do I just clench? You know what? I just need to listen to some sermons. Just got to get some truth. But that reminds me, recently I listened to a sermon and it was all about mission. I need to be telling my friends about Jesus. That's really important. I've got to remember to do that. And I need to do it in the workplace too. And it's really hard there because... There's a lot of gossiping that goes on. You know, how can I be walking in purity in the face of temptation? Regular repentance, of course. Oh. So looking at all of this, I'm thinking my Christian life is very busy and complicated. How do I deal with a busy and complicated life? By resting. I need to rest. Yeah. Probably ought to have a Sabbath, but when? And what do you do on a Sabbath? Do you do anything? How can I find out how I can rest properly? By reading Christian books, of course. I've got ten piled up by my bed. It makes me feel better that they're there. But I'm not reading them very often. Well, this is stressful. Do you know what what I really need? I really need revival. Because I imagine that's the spiritual equivalent of just being wafted along on an inflatable lilo. So, not all of you will have my kind of brain. Some of you will. That's a little snapshot of what it's like in here. Something's not right, is it? Something's not right. And all of these things are really good things. But this life, no amount of uh, sunshine or caffeine will give me the energy I need to live it. It's not terribly fruitful either, I'm telling you now. And there's a reason why the Bible doesn't say, in Lois, all things are held together. (laughs) So if my Christian life isn't supposed to be a caffeine-fueled stress fest, what is it supposed to be like? And today, God wants to remind us of some remarkably simple things to provide focus and clarity We are called to God. Never has there been such a mind-blowing, logic-defying, humbling, astounding, exhilarating statement. We are called to God. The most important commandment in the Bible, the one we're supposed to obey above all else, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I just think, really? God wants me to do that. God wants me. My heart, my soul, my mind. God came to earth, and that's another mind-blowing statement, isn't it? Jesus Christ walks this earth, 
And he did a whole range of amazing things. And the thing I still can't get my head around is that he chose to spend most of his time with 12 exceptionally ordinary people. We tend to romanticize the fact that Jesus spent his time with the most broken and rejected people. You know, it makes us feel good that our God is so kind, doesn't it? If you kind of meditate on it, it just is overwhelming. Jesus Christ with 12 utterly forgettable humans. The grace of it. If you uh, have Bibles, have a a look with me at Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Um, But here it is on the screen. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus called to him those he wanted, and the word wanted means exactly what you think it means wanted, to intend for someone, to desire someone, to take delight in someone. Jesus didn't call the disciples because logically it would be the most effective way to extend his kingdom. Quite the opposite. It's completely illogical. Jesus wanted them. And there are two reasons in this passage that are given for why he calls them. Firstly, that they might be with him. Be with Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. He says, come and be with me. And at this stage in in Mark, the disciples have already seen some miraculous signs. So I just can't imagine what this invitation must have felt like. They've probably never been chosen for anything before. It's a life-changing invitation. And it's not just an invitation to be disciples, to be learners, to receive instruction and gentle correction. They became Jesus' close friends and brothers. They shared meals in the open together. They laughed together, wept together, stayed up talking in the small hours together. Have you uh, ever gone on an amazing adventure with somebody and found that you're closer to them afterwards? Something about going through an adventure together. That's the life that Jesus is calling them to, an adventure with him, and that they might know him. He called them for intimacy. He wanted them. And if that wasn't enough all by itself, Jesus was even more gracious. He allowed them to share in his almighty power. It says that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. What? Let me get this straight. The holy, beautiful, all-powerful God of the universe not only wants us, but is prepared to share his power with us. And he's not just prepared to do it. It seems to be his joy and, in fact, his plan, his master plan. So Jesus 
calls his disciples to intimacy and empowerment. That's what it means to be called to God. It's a holy cycle of both of those things. And you can't have one without the other. To be intimate with God is to be changed and empowered, sent out, grown. And to seek power without God is frankly pointless. Jesus says as much in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And my Christian life is all about seeking empowerment first and not the intimacy. So intimacy and empowerment, that is available to us all the time. Mind blown. At this point, I just want to share a picture that Bev created recently. It's an amazing picture. I'll just explain it. Um, It's a compass embedded in a heart. And Bev wanted to try and communicate a number of different realities at once. So a compass is this central point that you kind of align yourself to. And from it, you can go out in all different directions certain that you know where you are. And a heart is something that pumps blood all around the body and gives us life. So this compass embedded in the heart speaks to me of what it's like to have a deep connection with Jesus. It's how we know love and power throughout our whole selves and it sets the direction. We're intimate with Jesus and empowered by him. And amazingly, this is the reality for Jesus as well. So in John 5, Jesus heals a man in Jerusalem who's been ill for 38 years. He's lying at a pool uh, with other ill people, paralyzed people, blind people, and Jesus heals him. And because it happens on a Sabbath, he's questioned about it. He says this in verse 19. Very truly, I tell you, The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So Jesus is one with the father, and he's dependent on the will of the father for his entire ministry. And he says this throughout the book of John. This isn't just a one-off thing he says. He kind of really hammers it home. Here's just a few examples. There's lots. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. So there's a kind of mind-blowing pattern here, which quite frankly is difficult to understand. Jesus' oneness with the Father is the why and how behind his powerful ministry. The miracles he performs are evidence of his intimacy with the Father. And apart from the Father, he says he can do nothing. 
And similarly, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But one with Jesus, we can do the same powerful things, Jesus. Oh, hold on. No. Even greater things than Jesus did. At the start of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus has some parting words for his followers before he ascends into heaven. And they're about God's kingdom. He tells them to remain in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is the Holy Spirit that will make us one with Christ. Truly one with God. With constant access to his almighty power. That intimacy and empowerment, Jesus says, will have a global impact. It will change everything. Um, If you have Bibles, just have a look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Um, This is one of the most astounding chapters of the Bible. And at, at the start, we read that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, just as Jesus said it would. And it's with a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, which filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then you can see, come the tongues of fire resting on each one of them. And they all begin to speak in tongues in other languages. And it made such a loud, extraordinary sound that it drew a huge crowd. And then in verse 14, Peter addresses them. And Peter is this ordinary fisherman the one who denied Jesus three times, who now speaks the gospel of Jesus with words of such power that they ring out like a bell. The transformation of Peter is crazy. If you look at what the disciples are like in Acts and what the disciples were like at the beginning, are they the same people? It's the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Peter preaches and 3,000 people are saved that day through his empowered message. And the Holy Spirit's work is all about winning people to Jesus. Because Jesus wants everybody. So look in chapter 2, look at verse uh, 42. Actually, I don't have it on the screen, I'll just read it. Verse 42. This is what the spirit, what happens when the spirit transforms everything. These new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's just one snapshot of what life can look like when people live intimately connected to Christ 
and through the Holy Spirit are daily empowered by him. Being called to God is to live a society-changing, joy-filled, prayer-fueled, Holy Spirit-sustained life. So this is my bitmoji. When I was trying to be cool, um, I, I made one of these. For those of you who don't know, it's really embarrassing. But basically, you create a little cartoon of yourself. In fact, I'm wearing a really similar outfit to my bitmoji, even the little shoes. Um, uh, a little cartoon of yourself, which does lots of different things, and you can send pictures of yourself. To it. Anyway, it's, it's silly. This is my favorite one. This is when my friends just need a little dose of truth. I'll be like, real talk, guys. So real talk, let's be honest at the moment. When I was, uh, yeah, if all of this is true, all of what I've just said is true, why is my life like this? Now, I love God and I love Jesus and I love to pray to him and I love it when he speaks to me and he does speak to me. I've even occasionally in my life seen some amazing things, possibly miraculous things. But have I seen greater things than Jesus did done here now? Have I done them? No, no. The answer is no. And most of the time I don't feel very powerful and I don't believe they're going to happen. Real talk. So, is it really true? My uh, experience is what makes me doubt that it's true. My lukewarm experience, my lukewarm life. But the Bible tells me it's true. My experience makes me doubt it. The Bible doesn't make me doubt it. The more I look into it, the more I realize that I shouldn't doubt it. My question is, how much are we prepared to stake on the Bible being right on this? Do we have faith for the Bible to be right on this? This is hard. I want to suggest that when our faith for this is low, we need to look again at intimacy and empowerment. I believe God has another level of intimacy for us. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly overshare now. I'm really sorry. I couldn't think of a, a better story, and I, so I've got to sacrifice myself on the altar of dignity. Um, when I was a student, I had a boyfriend... And I met, I had several boyfriends when I was a student. I was that kind of girl. Uh, we met on a Christian camp. And when you go on a Christian camp, you tend to think you know people better than you actually do. So at the end of the Christian camp, we got together. And cards on the table, we spent the next couple of months just making out. Okay? I'm sorry. Just made out. It's not, I don't suggest it's a good idea. But that's, that's what we did. And after a couple of months, I, I just realized I have nothing at all to say to this man. He was a maths teacher who played football, and no offence to any footballing mathematicians. <sighs> I was uh, studying English at the time, and at one point he said, poetry is pointless. 
I'm looking at the English students over there who are just like, So I found myself in this situation where I'd spent two months being actually quite intimate with somebody who I had nothing to say to. And we, we broke up shortly afterwards because it turned out he didn't have anything to say to me either. It was very amicable. But I suppose my point is, the illusion of intimacy is not intimacy. And there is no shortcut to intimacy. Just as I can't expect that kissing somebody is going to make them my new best friend, we can't expect that putting on a worship power anthem and saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord, is going to by itself create an intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, When I was preparing for today, I had a picture. God showed me a picture of a, a barrel And I saw that the barrel was bobbing, and I realized it was bobbing in the ocean. And then I saw that there were other barrels as well, all bobbing in the ocean. And I looked further away, and there was a cargo ship speeding off in the distance. And I could see there was someone just sort of throwing barrels into the ocean. And I I wondered what was in these barrels. And when I looked inside, I saw they were full to the brim of precious jewels. This cargo ship that was built for cargo was throwing its cargo into the ocean in order to go faster. I think that in trying to go faster, we throw out the most valuable, precious thing we have. And that's our intimacy with Christ. And we need to approach our relationship with Jesus as though he's a person because he is. He's not a concept or a force or an incantation. It means sitting at his feet like Mary did, just like the interpretation of the tongue, you know, coming to him and having a cup of tea with him, having dinner out in the open with him, meditating on what the word says about him and what it says that he did. And I think we should ask God to help us in this and maybe even ask him every day. What better thing can we ask for? Lord, by your spirit, please grant me a strong, lasting, passionate love for Jesus. Amen. That's a prayer he's going to love to answer. When we're bogged down by all sorts of things, I just feel so bogged down. Intimacy with Christ is the life-changing invitation that those disciples first received on that mountaintop. And empowerment then, uh, as I said before, these two things are inextricably linked. When I was trying to uh, find out all about revival, and I thought revival is the key to all my problems, uh, I read this book by Tozer called Out of the Rut and Into Revival. And I was trying to find out the answer And I sort of scoured the pages and he says, the conditions of a revival are individuals committed absolutely to Jesus. So if we want to see all the amazing, powerful, miraculous things that we read about in revivals and in acts, we better get that one thing straight right at the beginning. Those things 
only happen to bring glory to Christ. If we seek them to bring glory to ourselves or to our church, or so that God can prove himself to us, they won't happen. The glory belongs to Christ. I think uh, those three things, I just feel the Holy Spirit is uh, pinpointing. When we seek those things to bring glory to ourselves in our ministry or glory to our church, because, you know, we've been working so hard. It'd be really great if our church could see something amazing happen. Or so that God can prove himself to us. Lord, I'm open to you doing something. Show me. And then, and then I'll, be, I'll be on board. The glory belongs to Christ. So how can we be empowered? The followers uh, were baptised by the Holy Spirit at the start of Acts. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is available. But they kept on being filled. And when we read about signs and wonders happening throughout Acts, the Holy Spirit comes again. So let's keep asking to be filled by the Holy Spirit. That's one thing. On a practical level, listening out for the Holy Spirit's prompting is a learning process. Uh, Just as Jesus uh, only saw what the Father is doing, we also need to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I I don't know about you, I don't want to pray random scattergun prayers hoping that something will stick. I want to be moved by the Spirit to pray in faith for what God has revealed he will do. But discerning God's voice isn't instant either. And uh, just to quote Tozer again, uh, to think God's thoughts requires much prayer. That's the intimacy coming back. The second we think miraculous, we need to think intimacy. So let's be learners and let's be patient, expecting that the more we listen, the clearer it will become. And then... uh, The final thing, on on hearing the Holy Spirit, are we prepared to be bold and submit to what he says? I had a bit of a wake-up call recently reading about Reese Howells, who was a key figure. You're saying yes because you lent me the book. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he was was very, uh, I mean, at the start of the biography, um, a very young man getting to grips with what the Christian faith was, and he was very earnest um, and he, he sees that lots is happen- God is doing a lot. There's a revival happening. And he thinks that the Holy Spirit is just this kind of positive influence. And then he, he realizes the Holy Spirit, he gets this revelation, the Holy Spirit wants to live in me, in my body. Ugh. And this, uh, in, in the book, the, this is the recounted words of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit speaks to Reese Howells. Holy Spirit says, as the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. And I am come to ask you to give your body to me so that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple, but it must belong to me without reserve. I mean, that humbled me. But what what really humbled me was Reese Howell's reaction. He says, I could not run into this. 
I intended to do it, but oh, the cost. I wept for days. He spends over a week counting the cost of giving his life over to the Holy Spirit. And I, I can be so flippant about it. Yeah, come and fill me. I'll do whatever you say. There is a cost to giving him control. We do need to count it. We're taking seriously the fact that he's within us. And being truly one with Christ through the Spirit. Submitting to Jesus just as he submits to the Father is the way that God wants to miraculously heal our land. So just to uh, sum up, it's our absolute joy and privilege to be called by God. He wants us. And being called to him means two interconnected things, intimacy and empowerment. We can't have one without the other. There's no shortcut to intimacy. Jesus is a person Let's daily invest in our relationship with him as a priority when life gets confused and busy. And through our intimacy with Christ, he promises this amazing empowerment by the Holy Spirit to do greater things than even he did. So let's keep on being filled by the Holy Spirit. Let's learn to hear his voice, to count the cost Submit and be bold. Be prepared to make mistakes. And the result is the kingdom of God advancing, the glory of Jesus, the transformation of society, and the healing of our land. So maybe you just want to uh, close your eyes and take a moment to reflect. Get comfortable. Is there anything that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about now. Can you uh, perhaps hear his tender voice saying, I miss you. Haul that cargo of precious treasure back on board. Let's talk. Or is the Holy Spirit just poised, ready to fill you right up to the brim again? Do you long to see greater things? Tell him. Do you struggle to hear the Holy Spirit speaking? Maybe you don't know if you ever have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask God for his help in teaching you. And maybe you hear him and you've been able to hear him for a long time but he's become a bit familiar, a bit too easy to ignore. Maybe God wants to restore some of the awe you used to feel in his presence. So that when he speaks to you, you sit bolt upright and listen. It seems only right that we have some time to respond in, uh, as we mean to go on. Uh, calling on the Lord Jesus for more of him by his spirit. Uh, so can I invite you just to stand with me if you can? 
And can I also invite the people who I've uh, spoken to, a leadership team and a few others I managed to reach this morning who said that they'd be willing to pray for others. Um, anyone else who really wants to pray for others who does that regularly, then please come to the front. Please come forward. But everyone, just pray with me. Lord Jesus, we call upon your name. Would you come by your Holy Spirit and would you refill us? Some of us, would you fill for the first time? Would you come? Lord, I want to pray that you would break the power of confusion. Would you break the power of sin? Would you break the power of unbelief? in our lives and instead reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I specifically want to pray that you would pour out your spirit on these prayers here standing at the front. I want to pray that you would sharpen their spiritual gifts, that they might use them this morning to bless others. I pray that you would anoint them in the name of Jesus. And I pray that they would be able to see and hear clearly so that they can help others to do the same. Would you come, Holy Spirit? So, Prayer is available for any reason whatsoever. Maybe you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want to be blessed. Maybe you need healing. Now's the time. Come forward. A newly anointed band of prayers awaits you. <laughs> so do come. And everyone else, let's remain in a place of intimacy with Jesus as we worship him. Chris is going to uh, lead us as we do that. Just to remind you, there was, word, there was a word earlier about love, God's love. And if, if, if you don't know the love of God, come forward and someone will introduce you to God this morning. If, you, if the love of God has gone cold for you somehow, then come forward and we'll seek to reinvigorate that with you this morning.